0: previously on the Tony Kornheiser
1: Show. I'm sure this will be a PTI topic today. Oh, yeah. You know, and Did I you
0: think think finally uh, finish the rest of the uh, the Greg Norman... 30 no, 30. I didn't. No, but I
1: finished the rest of the pot roast you made. It's the greatest pot roast of all time.
0: <laughs> okay, it's a little past the... Uh, it's the, the greatest day pot day. roast. <laughs>
1: well, I had last night, I had a pot roast sandwich, put a little pickle on top. It was Ooh. fantastic. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. It, it's a it's a window into family structure. That's all it is. <laughs> three to
0: five days properly contained in the fridge. Uh, it was
1: uh, seven to ten days. Luckily we could great. date it
0: because it was Passover.
1: Yeah, it was great. It was absolutely <laughs> great. Uh, we got this we got this from our friend Noah Petro or Petro. Petro. Noah Petro at NASA, who helps out every time I say, What's doing with the moon? Right. He's our what, moon expert. You know, yes. what's doing with the moon? And he writes, Noah from NASA. On Wednesday at three fifty-two AM, fellow little Bob Farmer Hines will launch from the Kennedy Space Center to the ISS, that's the International Space Station, I assume, starting a several-month stay aboard the space station. Mr. Tony, I know you'll be up to watch. I was up. That's this morning. I was awake. I didn't know it was blast-off time. Farmer is joined by Shale Lindgren, Samantha Cristoforetti, and geologist Jessica Watkins on his mission. I know this will warm Wilson's heart as the space station periodically passes over Chicago and therefore is an extension of the Midwest. <laughs> Godspeed the crew of Spaceship Freedom. So we wish everybody aboard wonderful pleasure and luck and everything good. Yes. You know, that's your pal. Yes, yes, so, big fan of Noah. That's good. Good guy. All right. So, uh, I think I could be fairly accused of obsessing about the Nats. I think that's fair. I think most of you who listen to this show think, oh, God, is he doing this again? (laughs) The bullpen. The Nats are a terrible team. I don't believe they'll win 60 games. I don't. I think they'll win in the 50s. And the Nats have been, until last year, until midway through last year, actually, The Nats have been a great joy in my life. They've been a very competitive team in a very competitive division. They have had their share of playoff opportunities, and they won the World Series in 2019. So there is nothing I can say that would cast a pall over the history of the Washington Nationals and my fandom. There's nothing I can say. I can tell you time and time again that they make terrible choices in the bullpen. I can tell you that, but I do. They really don't. You know? They don't? Not really. Okay, continue on your rant.
0: How's Sam Clay doing? Continue (laughs) on your rant. Sam Clay's
1: ERA is 4,000. I'm talking about the
0: overall arc of their bullpen over the last eight years. They made the necessary moves that were the right moves at the time. Wander Suero. They
1: didn't all work out. And by the numbers, they're better than you remember. Okay. In any case, (laughs) they did something last night that was so disheartening. It was so disheartening. They are playing against Miami. Miami traditionally is a far worse team in the last 10, 12 years. Than the Nats have been. But Miami's got a real good pitcher, strong arm, Sandy Alcantara, right? Alcantara. 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 Sub 2 ERA. Big kid, 6'4, 6'5, throwing 93 to 98 on every pitch. Okay. You know, and uh, the Nats have Josiah Gray. And Josiah Gray, it, I don't want to say he's infuriating. He is, Josiah Gray and Kiebert Ruiz are the two big prospects that the Nats got back for Turner and Scherzer. Josiah Gray is a steady pitcher at the moment. He should be a fourth or fifth starter, but he's essentially their one because Patrick Corbin's terrible. He never gets through the six innings, Josiah Gray, and he always has one bad inning. But he's got promise. He strikes out a lot of people. He gets better before your eyes. He's not good enough yet, so he's got a three. He had the one bad inning, and so it's, it's three. Not runs. even a
0: bad inning. He had one bad.
1: Pitch okay. he had one bad batter. Okay, there's a lot of strikeouts in that inning too. Yeah, they're Ten down. The game. They're down three nothing in the bottom of the fourth, and they do something I've never seen before. They get two guys thrown out at home. Full send. They get two guys thrown out at home. It's unbelievable. Yeah, you don't see that. Josh Bell has no business known for his speed. Josh Bell. Josh Bell has no business. And I'll tell you, Josh Bell is the leader of superfluous RBI. Notice when you need him to get a run in, he doesn't. But in a 12-to-1 game, he gets three in. Okay? Superfluous RBI. But Josh Bell gets on base, gets a single, I think it was. Just a little single. S-I-N-G-L-E, single, single, single. And then he's on second base, right? He's on second base, and there's a hit to the outfield. And for reasons unknown to me, the third base coach, Gary D'Arcynia, De, do I have that correct? Is that sure? His? I don't. I don't know who the third base coach is this year, but I think we're going to get to him for the next play. Okay. So he sends Josh Bell home, and Josh Bell's a lumbering load. Josh Bell's a big man. When he turns the corner on third, you're wondering. Am I gonna to have to time this guy with a sundial before he gets home? It's <laughs> so like the Buffalo when and, you... and Bob Carpenter, and I believe this happened. I believe Bob Carpenter said, and Josh Bell's coming home with a run. Because the assumption was single to the outfield, runner on second, breaking on the hit, you're coming home with the run. Josh Bell is thrown out. And it's and nobody argues this, right? Nope. This is an inarguable, sit down. Yeah, inarguable circumstance. It's an awkward slide. He's out. So then at some point, they then have first and second again. They get three hits, three hits in a row, I think, and no runs. And now you've got Yadiel Hernandez on second base. And who gets the hit? Uh, Is this Franco? Michael Franco gets the hit. Generalissimo? Not Generalissimo, (laughs) Mikel Franco. Yeah. Um, I think Franco gets the hit. Hard shot left field. Somewhere in the outfield. I'm I'm blanking on it because I'm so angry. And Yadiel Hernandez, we think, runs through the stop sign on third base, runs through the stop sign, runs home. He's out. Now, I honestly, from I will not tell you that Josh Bell was safe. He was not safe. But every angle I saw, I thought you could make a case that Hernandez was safe. The Nats protested, but they didn't, I don't really understand this. They didn't protest safe or out. They protested that the catcher blocked the access to the plate, and therefore it's an automatic run, and that was denied. These things are reviewed in New York, and that, that one is a simple up or down. Right. It's more complicated after a call, because after a call, you need enough evidence to overturn. Yes. So if it's amorphous, you're going to stick with the regular call.
0: But right, Michael. See, I thought that's why it took longer because. So
1: they protested like, twice.
0: No, I, they got the one protest, and maybe they're thinking that it was easier to get the block call rather than the safer out because they're gonna. It's going to be harder to prove something that is definitive. What's the third base
1: coach's name? D'cercenia. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it looked like he was saying to Hernandez, "No, don't go. Stop at third. But it was interesting. Both Franzen guys went, out at the plate. Branson then went on to protect him,
0: saying, "We don't know. Maybe they had a signal set so that there is sort of a you know a fake out where you look like you're holding him to try and get the." right fielder to pause, even just for a second to try and get that in. I don't know. So two, I stopped watching. Two follow-up points. I, I did as well. We went back to Top Chef. It was Restaurant Wars. We were about a I week I went behind. to the NBA. uh So you, you, bring up, you bring up Josh Bell. He's having a very strong April. He's Sitting 300. And the problem I have is if he had three quarters of this start last year, none of those moves would have been, been made. Been, no trades. Even with the Schwarber injury. Nats would have been contenders. And you look at... Uh, you look at Josiah Gray and you start to wonder what is the effect if you should be a two, three, or four who is, as you would always say, drafting behind somebody else. If you had somebody else to look up, what's the effect long term if you don't necessarily uh, get the protection in terms of position in the order of the pitching? Not even for the run support because he could have gotten some runs there. Uh, and then you look at Alcantara and you they want to squandered say, two runs. And you want to say, get through the. This is an ace. If you can, if you can take him out in the fourth inning, that changes the game, changes the series, particularly Alcantara. When you, When you've lost so – they're now, what, six in a row?
2: So what do you got? Do you want to hear Hernandez's quote? Yeah. He said, I was going all the way. I just had that in my head to try and score there with two outs. Why why is there a third-base coach? He said, by the time I did catch a glimpse of him on the side, it was too late
1: for me to stop. I had to keep going. Well, well, then why have a coach? I mean, why not just have a guy there holding a progressive insurance (laughs) sign and twirling it? Why not just have that? Why have a coach? supposed to look that's why I assume. the only reason they pay the third base coach is for decisions like this. Yes. He shouldn't have sent Bell. No. Bell's a load. And I guess I just read that Bell seen. also has a bit of a hamstring issue so he's He's a missed two games. Yeah. So yeah. as he's slow anyway, yeah. now he's slow-er. slower. Yeah, you gotta hold him. Gotta hold he's him. He's the slowest going to home. It's it's a mistake. Yeah. From Chris Heil. Who says? Let me begin by saying that my hope was to send a couple of the Secret Sisters songs to your show through jingles, but, and there's a but, I was unable to get permission from them. The Secret Sisters are country bluegrass with harmonies that are equivalent to the Everly Brothers. Mm. Hope you listen to it, and if you enjoy it, that you're able to get their permission for a song or two to be played on a future podcast. I've been a little for several decades, and my enjoyment of the show cannot be expressed in words. Thanks for all the memories and the ones still to come. I get you out of here on this— when are Dan Byrne or Joe Arrow going to use either the Cheers theme song or vocalize T for Two Cha-Cha by Roy Battell and the Altones for the official <laughs> TK Show theme song, perhaps by the end of this email? <laughs> very <laughs> nice. Great. Thank you very much for that. How much time do we have? Enough time for your toaster story? Do we have enough time? We do. Okay. So here is the toaster story. Um, as you know, about a year ago... Maybe Bruce Levinson, who is the owner, and and he's the guy behind Revolution Toaster. And we started talking about it because I didn't know what it was, and it cost $300. And I thought, this is a tremendous amount of money for a toaster. And then I think it was the quarterback for Jacksonville put it on his wedding list. Who's the, the kid Oh, from Clemson? What's his name?
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Come Come on, help me out. Sorry.
2: Trevor Um, Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence. Thank
1: you, Sean. Thank you, Sean. So Trevor Lawrence was getting married, and one of the items that they wanted was a revolution toaster. So we talked about it, we talked about it, we talked about it. And Alan, who is a good friend of Bruce Levinson's, assured me Bruce Levinson would never send me a toaster. He's not in the free toaster business. (laughs) He's in the sell toaster business. He sent me a free toaster. I raved about it. I continue to rave about it. It's a fabulous toaster. You have one. I purchased one after after sampling some some toast from
2: yours,
0: and, and it's, it's fabulous. It's the best. It is the I best. Love and it. I I, have and it. I do not have said toaster, but I've
1: enjoyed the final countdown. Right. Which is <laughs> and, and, and I've said, Nothing to a, you know, I think we've sold some toasters here, even though they don't sponsor. I yeah. think we've sold some toasters. So we don't have a. We have a toaster out at the beach. The toaster that we have is, I believe, a Proctor Silex toaster. From 1974, I believe. I believe that it's worth now nothing. Because when you put toast in the toaster at the beach, sometimes it toasts, <laughs> sometimes it doesn't. It never pops up. Oh, You might not get it out. It never pops up. You have to stick your fingers in there uh, to get the toast out. And it, it, we need a new toaster. Right. So I have American Express points that I never use. And I have stuff I just never use because I don't understand it. Do you have a rule for American Express points? Do you have to let it get to a
0: certain threshold before you'll consider using? No.
1: What do you get? One point for a dollar, something like that? A point depends a on dollar? your card. Oh. Whatever it is. So I go shopping for toasters. I figure out how to get on the American Express website. And I say, go shopping. And then I write in toaster. And they show me all the toasters that they sell. And the toasters are essentially divided into two kinds of toasters. One inexpensive, like $50 and under, and one 100 and and 100 and a quarter, 150 somewhere in there. And in the, in the first category, would that be like the press-down bread?
0: To, you know, just toast a, a piece, piece of, bread. of bread? Yeah,
1: two, I and wanted the, a two-slice toaster. The latter is like an air fryer, yeah. toaster oven. I guess. I don't know. And I figure, okay, you know, I'm going to get something good. Not necessarily great. Not as great as the Revolution toaster, because I'm out there 20 days a year. Yeah. I'm not out there that much. The Revolution toaster is the best. I'm telling you to buy the toaster it's because over the years that you have it, it will be worth it. Yes. It will be worth it. If you go out and you spend, if you take another couple to dinner at a relatively nice restaurant, you're going to spend $300 for that one dinner. Spend 300 on a Revolution toaster and you have it forever. Yes. Okay. That's my speech. So I buy this other toaster. Michael, can you pick up the toaster and tell me what I bought? Because it's still in the box. We're not going to open it. I bought this to, to bring this out to the beach. So I thought you were going to have the whole
0: unboxing. It's in, a, it's in an unmarked box. It says so. on top. Oh, okay. This
1: is a Breville Smart Toaster Two Slice. Yeah, so we'll Breville. A two Slice. Breville. That's, I guess, a pretty good brand. Breville. I think this was like 33,000 points. So it's a $33,000 toaster if you get a point, a dollar. It comes here. I order this thing. I've never in my life been able to order anything. I usually call people up and I go, please, sir, help me. Please. I cannot do this on my own. This time I did it. I put it in the cart. I signed, it off. I signed off. I did everything. I wrote my address. I got everything done.
0: It's hard to get to the MX Benefits homepage. Yeah, just I'm so you know. very
1: proud at this point. 20 minutes later. Within 20 minutes, there's an email on my email from Bruce Levinson, who I had seen a couple of weeks before at the driving range at Rehoboth. And he said, let's play. Let's play with Alan. You know, we had a nice chat. It's an email that says, you know, you don't have a toaster out at the beach. I'm going to send you a toaster. (laughs) I'm going to send you the new revolution. It's even better than ever. The new it's revolution? It's got the panini press. Oh. It's got 9,000 different things you can toast. Wow. You can toast a large bagel. I'm gonna, it's got the large bagel setting. I'm going to send it over with the CEO of the company, Tom. Bring it over to your house. I communicate with Tom. I don't know what to do. Because I've just... I can't get out of the other toaster. I can't say no. Ooh, my mistake. So I say to Carol... W- what should we do? And Carol says, somebody's going to invite us to a wedding and we'll give them a really nice toaster. And I said, nobody's going to invite us to a wedding.
0: <laughs> and this isn't a really nice, this is a nice toaster. It's not a wedding toaster.
1: It's a nice toaster. It is nice. It nobody's going to buy us. So I've got this. What's the thing. MSRP? <laughs> um, uh, see how it compares. Yeah. Hold on. Uh, it's about 150 bucks. Yeah, yeah, it's about 150 bucks. So okay. I... Okay, I'm sitting. I'm sitting with this thing. I even said to my son, "Do you need a toaster?" And he's going, "No, I need your toaster. Uh, you want my toaster?" But my yeah, my
0: shock was I thought you might be offering me the second Revolution toaster because zero this chance. This Breville toaster, is zero chance. Per house, you only visit twenty days a year.
1: Zero chance. <laughs> so this was my this was my next dilemma, and I didn't bring this up to Bruce. I just said thank you very very much. Yes, but I brought it up to Tom. I said, Tom, look, I don't, I don't want to kick a gift horse in the mouth but this is your new toaster right this is the better toaster. Oh yeah this is this top total top of the line I said do you really want me to bring that out to the beach and only use that 20 days a year when I'm here for the other 300 says, oh no no keep this one here so I have packed up the uh, first toaster to take out to the beach and I'm waiting, and now all the littles will invite me to a wedding to try and get this toaster. But no, 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 it's not going to work. It's not that easy. It's not that easy. But within 20 minutes, I had this, this gusher of oil you yeah. know, on my property. It was the Beverly Hillbillies. I was getting another toaster. It was so nice, so kind. And the toaster's great. It's great. I've used it the last three days. It's fabulous. Loves very exciting. Jesse. Is that's her endorsement, her celebrity <laughs> endorsement of the Revolution toaster? It is great. It's great. I'm sure it
2: is. I mean, the original, the original Revolution toaster is amazing. Beautiful color on that toast. Yes, yeah. it's perfect every time. So, that's yeah, right. you did the right thing, though. You
1: take the better toaster. Well, I asked permission. I didn't want to do something that would offend anyone. I asked right. permission. Yeah. I asked Tom, and you hold on. This, this yeah, Tom is, listens to the podcast. So Tom was doing his uh, his pitch for the QVC. He's going on on TV. Yeah, he's gonna. They're gonna sell the Revolution toaster on TV. Huh. Now, I don't watch QVC, but millions of people do. Yeah, and buy stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my toaster story. Uh, we'll be back with who? Neil Greenberg or Tim Kirchner? Neil Greenberg. Neil Greenberg. We're going to ask Neil Greenberg about. Angel Hernandez, who cannot be allowed to ump at the plate. And I'm going to ask him essentially about He does a lot of sports betting now. And you know what I want to know? How many people actually do this? I've never placed a bet. Have you? Uh, I've placed bets on the Super Bowl, you know? Okay. Yeah, that's about But it. like, I mean, regular bettings.
0: Yeah, no, I'm not one of have them. Have you, Michael? Not, Nigel's not going to above ground, you know, <laughs> Have you? Have bench. you done that?
1: <laughs> I have not. I've never done it. All
0: right. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show.
1: This is sent to us by Eric DeLong, who writes, Stoked to be sending some new music your way, as it's only been about five years since my last email. I guess the most notable thing that's happened to me in that time is I've moved from Woodside, New York, train stop, right before New York City, to Ashburn, Virginia, where dreams go to die. (laughs) Speaking of things dying, dying, I just released a new Bluegrass Folk album. I've attached a couple of songs for you if you want to play them. The album was inspired by the adventures my friend and I had doing the most responsible thing we could think of during the height of the pandemic. Driving out to the casino in Charlestown, West Virginia with a stimulus check and a dream. And you say your audience is smart. That's just (laughs) such a great line. I'll get to the – he's going to play two songs, so I'll read the rest of the email. Eric DeLong and the Slappy Boys, I think is the official Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric DeLong and the Slappy Boys. We'll (laughs) get to that. Uh, This is called My Own Way. It's just a wonderful email from Eric DeLong and wonderful songs. They play in Neil Greenberg. Every year we have Neil on for the NHL playoffs. I looked at the calendar the other day and found that next week, next Sunday Was May. Was May. And the NHL is still toddling along. And they haven't gotten to the playoffs yet. They always start the playoffs before the NBA. They always finish before the NBA. They're not going to do that now. And this is obviously a product of the Olympics, which they weren't even in. And so we'll get to that in a second. We'll get to that. We're prepping Neil for that. And essentially when I ask for an NHL playoff preview, what I'm really asking for is how are the Caps going (laughs) to do? Because I don't know anything about any other team. And I don't know anything about them. But let me get to this: the Angel Hernandez strike zone. You are familiar with this strike zone, this floating strike zone that antagonizes every hitter in the major leagues. Did you see this the other night with Schwarber?
3: Um, I sure did, and I wrote about it. Um, it was uh, it was pretty bad, and I and I don't even think the Schwarber pitch was the worst pitch of the bunch. There was. Um, there was a pitch by Lauer in the fifth inning that was called a strike that had not been called a strike in that location this season. Um, it was it was so far off the mark. Um, there was also two other pitches that uh, are called balls ninety percent of the time. So it was a it was a pretty poor night um, overall for that strike zone.
1: All right. So Angel Hernandez is annually rated as the worst home plate ump every year, and you know why he's still umping. Because baseball tried to get rid of him, and he sued baseball, so everybody 's hands are tied. are the umpires that powerful? Neil
3: well, they have to be because like you said i mean he's still he 's still in in the majors, and there doesn 't seem to be any sort of um, there doesn 't seem to be any sort of like scorecard or any sort of rating system that would um, you know that would keep him i mean, I think if you you know, if you got, if you demoted the, the bottom, you know, let's say like the, the bottom 10% of the umpires and promoted guys or, you know, women or men from the, from the minors, you know, I think that, you know, overall the strike zone w- would stabilize. But when there's no repercussions, you know, it just seems like some umpires want to make it more about them. And, you know, you look at the strike zone, I mean, baseball tracks every single pitch and then we can compare that to every other pitch. And when you look at the strike zone that, that Angel Hernandez has specifically, I mean, he's, he's very generous with the top of the strike zone. He's very generous to the outside part of the plate against left-handed batters. Um, it also seems that he's very susceptible to pitch framing. Um, so it's just it, it, it turns out to be a night uh, about the umpires rather than the actual baseball game.
1: Craig Council, the manager of the Brewers, after the game said, it's a big strike zone. It seems to be a little big everywhere. Everywhere is what he said. And Schwarber, who went nuts, isn't on his team. And everybody knew. And Schwarber just said, all game. All game. You know, he just finally, his head exploded. Schwarber's head exploded because he had seen it with other batters and himself and everybody else. And Angel Hernandez continues To do this. Um, Neil also writes about sports betting. And I wanted to, before we get, again, we're not going to get to the NHL playoff picture. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I will, eventually. But in your experience, are people betting a lot on sports? I mean, I know, like, you write about this a lot. ESPN has a daily show about this. These commercials that are, to use my friend Jeff Ma's word, predatory, are on every single moment urging you to bet and telling you, oh, everything's free, don't worry about anything. And they enlist people like Drew Brees to do this. What is your experience? My feeling, Neil, is that people who bet for years and years and years with bookies are not going to bet with anybody other than their bookies because of the relationships that's established. How many people are betting?
3: I mean, it's a lot. Um, really? and I, I actually okay. disagree uh, with people only betting with their bookies, only because once you have a regulated market um, and you have a bunch of sports books, then you can start to line shop. And not all sports books offer the same line. So if you, you know, if you're a if you're a serious handicapper, then right. you can just and you make you know, let's say just for argument's sake, you make the line in the Denver Golden State game, Denver. Um, you know, plus eight. Well, you can get, uh, you know, plus eight and a half at some places. You can get plus nine at some places. But you can also get the Warriors at minus nine or minus eight and a half. Mm-hmm. You know, half a point here, half a point there makes a difference. So I think, um, you know, having, yes, there's a lot of people that are betting. I mean, it's, it's you know, obviously millions upon millions upon tens of millions of dollars. Um, and I do think that the regulated sports books offer, you know, are, are, are it's good to price shop. Now, that being said, I agree with Jeff in terms of being predatory. I mean, everything that you see is all about parlays, same-game parlays. and. You know, obviously, a parlay is just a bunch of bets strung together, um, and also with the same game parlays in particular, you look at the odds offered on a straight wager, and then you look at what they're offering when you make it a part of the same game parlay. They're not the same, so there's a lot of things happening there. And then, you know, so the the sports better, especially one that's a casual better or not very sophisticated. Is going to run into a problem that way because they're just not getting the best of it at any time. And, um, you know, they'll either end up broke or busted, um, or if they're successful, they'll end up limited and and they won't be able to bet as much anyway.
1: So, what I wonder about is I see all these ads, and, you know, everybody's happy and everybody's winning, you know, because that's what you're going to put in the ad, even though most people are destitute and needing stale hot dogs out of a dumpster when the the evening is over but they tell you you can bet on every shot like can you actually do this yeah you
3: can bet on every pitch you can bet on every you can bet on if the shot's going to be a three point two point attempt um you can bet on if the pitch is going to be a strike or um a ball as
1: the game is going on pitch by pitch every 15 seconds
0: you can do that
3: yeah, so that's the, the that's the challenge, right? So you're looking at the if if you've ever um, if you ever watched the live in-game um, scores on an actual betting app, it's probably I know with football it's at least twenty seconds ahead, um, and same thing with baseball. Basically, like they get the fee. it's almost instantaneous. So unless you're actually at the game, um, there's. You're going to be at a disadvantage only because the the book's going to know what happened before you do. Um, but yeah, you can you can certainly do that. You can you can bet on you know in basketball you can bet on like a shot ten shots from now. Um, and you can bet as I said on every pitch, every at bat. In, in football you can bet on every play. Um, you know every drive is it going to be a punt? Is it going to get past the fifty? Is it going to get past the twenty? Um, you know, they're going to get a first down on that play. I mean, yeah, there's, the live embedding um, is pretty robust now. And, um, you know, it's easy to get swept up in it. Um, and it's, uh, it's a challenge. But I think the, the lag time in particular is where you're at the biggest disadvantage because the, the feed that the books get is, is definitely faster than the TV feed. Um, And and you'd have to be at the game and, you know, good luck getting Wi-Fi at a a game where you're able to to capitalize on that.
1: Are we producing a a country of degenerates? I mean, uh, you know, when you bet, it actually costs money. You have to, at some point, pay the piper, right? You have to do it. I mean, you can lose, at any given point, hundreds and thousands of dollars on any given game if you're just brash about the whole thing, Right.
3: Yeah, and and the way it's set up right now, um, I mean, full disclosure, I'm limited at a lot of places. There are some major odds makers that are available in Virginia that if I try to bet twenty five dollars, I can maybe bet like five ten dollars, like maximum. Like they they will not take bets from winning betters. So
1: you're in Jeff, a- Ma <laughs> <Fabulous>. <laughs> Jeff Ma land, fabulous, Jeff Ma land.
3: So it's it's actually a, a it's a double whammy because. If you're winning, you're not going to be able to bet. <laughs> and if you're losing, they'll let you bet as much as you want.
1: Well, of course. So, so you know, un you, like, you see,
3: like, a lot of these touts and stuff that are, that are bragging about, you know, how much they're betting. Um, but if they're able to get down, like, a $1,000 bet on something, chances are they're losers over time. Because I tell you right now, if I try to bet even $100 on, like, a two-to-one, like, prop or a money line or something, um, I'm only getting like 50 bucks.
1: Fantastic. You're so good that they hate you and don't <laughs> want you to do it. Again, yeah, Jeff but yeah. All right. Let's get to the NHL preview. How are the caps going to do? Are they in it? Did they make the playoffs this year? The caps?
3: Yeah, they're making it. Um, they're probably going to face Florida, um, in the first round, which is just about the worst possible scenario you can think of. Um, <laughs> You know, you couple that, you know, playing one of the best teams in, in the league um, as the wild card, so you don't even, you know, you obviously don't have home field advantage. Um, and then, you know, Ovechkin's hurt. I mean, obviously, you know, you don't need, need, need me to tell you how good Ovechkin is and, and how integral he is to the team's success. Um, Coach Laviolette said that if uh, the playoffs were yesterday, Ovechkin would not have played. Um, so that's that's concerning. Um so I think that, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of trepidation with this team going in. Goaltending is a little bit rough. The power play doesn't always fire when it should. Ovechkin's hurt. Um, you know, we may be talking about basketball rather quickly um, this
1: year. All right. Who's the best team? If you had to pick the team that would win, Tampa Bay has won two in a row. Uh, yeah,
3: um, I – I like Minnesota from top to bottom. I mean, they short up their goaltending, getting Mark Andre Fleury. Um, I think Calgary certainly looks good. I think Colorado looks good. Um, but if I'm looking Those at a Western team that teams. maybe not you just a lot of people two, are talking about, teams, I would say Minnesota.
1: you just picked three Western teams. Nobody in the East is good.
3: I mean, they're good. I just, um, you know, I'm just looking at like the matchups and stuff. I mean, right now, Rangers Pittsburgh. That's going to be a grind. <clears throat> Um, Carolina's got to play Boston. Um, Toronto, Tampa Bay, I mean, you have these two high-powered teams. One of them's going to be going home. Um, so I think the, the path through the West is, is probably a little more clear-cut.
1: Okay. I'll get you out on this. You follow this stuff. Is Ovechkin going to catch and pass Gretzky? Is he going to have the healthy. most goals? Uh,
3: but, you know, as long as he's healthy, we don't have any... Uh, work stoppages or, or anything like that. I mean I, I think he can. I mean he's certainly shown he can defy the odds. He's obviously way more productive than, you know, most people um most people thought, at least those that, you know, weren't a, a, a you know, a, a complete fanatic. Um, but, you know, you gotta give him credit. I mean, fifty goals again this year at age thirty six, that's unprecedented. Um, you know, maybe the short season last year made it a little more difficult, but um you know, he's certainly he, he certainly's got a shot if he plays till he's like forty one, forty two years old. You know, obviously that's easier said than done, but um yeah, I think I think he's got a real shot at it.
1: Is he the oldest guy to get fifty goals?
3: Um, I'd have to look. Um, I I think he's gotta be one of I mean, we just don't see these type of goal scorers after right. the age of thirty five putting up uh fifty points. I mean it's it's really nuts when you think about it and um you know, especially in a okay. year where the, um, you know, the, I know goals are up this year, but by and large, when you're trying to compare it to, like, when Gretzky played, I mean, it's completely different. But uh, Johnny Boychuk did it in 1970-71. Uh, he scored 51 goals um, after the age of 35. So just him and Ovechkin right now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a an amazing accomplishment. And, um you know even if he just has like you know 20 30 goal seasons but he's still able to play i think that uh, it's well within reach yeah
1: thank you neil thank you thank you we'll get back to you during the playoffs when i have some sense of who's actually in the playoffs <laughs> Neil Sounds Greenberg, great. boys and girls we'll take a break tim will which ones and we're going to give tim the test we're going, a quiz, to ask, yes. you know, we're going to give them some quiz questions here. I haven't looked at these questions. I was pretty good the other day yes. with Richie. Richie was better. I expect him to be better. But we'll do that when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
2: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show.
1: Once again, this is Eric DeLong, and he writes, I read a bluegrass song and then wrote a whole album's worth over the course of the next year because I'm 31 single and have this sort of time on my hands. <laughs> Available wherever you stream music. The band name is Eric DeLong and the Slappy Boys, and the album is The Legend of Papa Gatsby. Thank you so much for allowing your show to be a platform for independent artists. I've discovered a ton of great musicians through you, and I think I speak for us all when I say you playing our stuff. is tremendously appreciated. Eric DeLong and the Slappy Boys. This is called Danielle. This plays in Tim Kirkchin. And we're going to give Tim the quiz in a little while, but I do have a few questions first about baseball. We're early. We're very early in baseball. Max Scherzer, warrior god, is having a great season. Whenever he goes on the mound, the Mets win in one, you know, they just don't lose, which used to happen with the Nats. But is there anything worth talking about so far, anything you've seen so far, what, 15, 20 games in where you say, I didn't expect this or pay attention to this?
4: Well, first, we have to talk about the Mets, because they've won their first six series of the season, and they've never done that in the history of the franchise. So that's what the Mets look like for now. That's the impact Buck Showalter has had. That's the impact that Max Scherzer has had, and that's how good their starting pitching has been. And if DeGrom comes back, and I'm sure he will, imagine a starting staff with him uh, on top of it with Scherzer. It's just ridiculous. As for other things, um, you know, the Mariners are pretty good, Tony. They haven't been to the playoffs since 2001. They can hit. I think they have a chance. The White Sox are terrible, but they've been so injured that I can't pay much attention to that. Um, We're not hitting as many home runs, but we're striking out an awful lot every Every game as we do all the time. So those are just a few takeaways, but I'm really cautious, Tony, this early, to jump yeah. at things, because yeah. I can't even tell you how many times, how many times I've been wrong where, and the rest of us have been wrong, where you just say, "Me, maybe, maybe I, I saw that wrong in spring training." then the team gets hot. And then when you say, "I knew I was right about that team," and then they fall apart. That's how baseball works, especially in the first month.
1: I don't think people understand how different baseball is playing 162 games than any other sport. I don't think they understand, like, you know, you're, you're just not going to go through winning 40 out of 50, even if you're like the Tigers who one year started out winning 40 out of 50 and they got to the World Series. But you, you don't, the, whatever pace you are on at the beginning will change, right, Tim, four or five times over the course of a season. Uh,
4: of course. I mean, a couple of years ago, the Dodgers had a stretch that, like, no National League team had had in this century. I mean, in this it's since 1900. And then they hit an unbelievably terrible losing streak. These things happen. All the time. This is the beauty of the sport, Tony, is that we never know what's going to happen when the game starts, as opposed to, I love basketball, you know that, but when the Wizards would make the playoffs and they have to go to play Jordan's Bulls in Chicago they had no chance to win. You knew he was going to win the game and the series before it started. The best part about baseball is you never know because it is so damn hard to play that when you're off a little bit, you can look like a lousy player. Mike Trout can look like a bad player once in a while. Whereas when LeBron has a bad game, he scores 18, gets seven rebounds, and six assists. That's a bad game for LeBron James.
1: Uh, We just had Neil Greenberg on, and we talked about Angel Hernandez's um, liquid strike zone that seems to just spread all over. What are your? You saw that. You saw everybody saw that with Schwarber, and everybody saw that both teams said, "What are we doing here?" What do you make of that?
4: Well, he had a terrible night. Apparently, according to the people that chart these things, he missed nineteen pitches. So he only got eighty-five percent of them right. That is way too low. He missed by about six inches, according to the stats, on a couple of pitches. That simply is not good enough. But, uh, again, Tony, I'm I'm different. I think umpiring is really hard to do. I think some umpires are great. I don't think Angel Hernandez is very good. But I'm not in favor of saying, all right, one guy had one bad night on national TV. We need to go to an automated strike zone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Somebody needs to prove to me that this is going to work without – fail let's face it the replay system that's in place right now tony does not work without fail so we can't have more technology in the game unless we're positive that it's going to be great and it's going to make a supreme difference however that was so bad the other night that it affected the game there were 32 strikeouts in that game and part of the reason was the hitters didn't know what was a strike because of the home plate umpire
1: yeah Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, so I, you know, I watch the Nats all the time. So the first Friday I want to watch Scherzer against the Nats and it's on Apple TV and it's not on local. Like I don't, I'm okay with you putting a game of the week on whatever channel you want, the Martian news channel. I don't care about that, but I'm not okay with the local broadcast being blacked out. Why have they done that?
4: Well, because they want to give Apple a chance to get going with a game that is only on Apple, and I'm <laughs> I'm totally against that too. I mean, if I'm a if I wa- if I want to watch the Nats or the Pirates or the Dodgers, I should be able to watch every single game of the season. That should be part of the fee that I pay, and that should be part of the team that i cover but exclusivity is so important now this is why espn where i work essentially got rid of the monday and wednesday games which i did all the time and just went to sunday because we're the only game in town on sunday night that's how it works that's what apple's doing that's what all sorts of people are doing and i don't like it because i want to watch games on my television where I know it's going to be, and some games just aren't there.
1: Yeah, and my feeling is that if I'm a fan of the local team, whether I like the broadcasters or not, I am used to those broadcasters, and I will grant that they know much more, much more about the circumstances here than somebody coming in from afar. You know, I mean, that was so obvious. This is Scherzer. When Scherzer pitches against the Nats for the first time, you want somebody who knows that, right, Tim? That, that's my point i i w- right. I, d- I want I don't want to know more than the broadcaster, and I did, and that was not good for me so I anyway
4: totally agree and again tony i I've done games for seven years now, and i I pop in having not seen a team for two months, and I feel a little guilty like how can i explain this when I haven't been there in two months. Now, I've been doing this for 42 years. I have a working knowledge of all this stuff, but you're right. When you bring in people to cover a game or a team and they haven't seen the team in a while, it's really difficult and it does not serve as the viewer for, in some cases.
1: Okay. Todd from Bristow, Virginia writes this. The woman to whom I am related by marriage continues to buy Utz hard pretzels, even though she knows Snyder's of Hanover makes the superior sourdough hard pretzel. Do you think this is grounds for divorce? I'll hang up and listen. Oh, and please have Timmy Avocado on to take the baseball trivia quiz. He gets so excited. So because we want to help all of the people who listen to the show, we're going to bring Tim into one full page of the baseball quiz sent in by Scott, who works at the Brookville Pharmacy. Okay, which is the pharmacy that I use. Are you ready, Tim?
4: Uh, I hate these things
1: because
4: I only know about one thing in the world, and then when I don't get it right, I feel like I don't know anything. anything I'm going to do it I with can't you. can answer any other question about I'm anything. I'm going
1: to do it with you. Don't worry. Okay. I've not seen these questions. Who did Fergie Jenkins begin his career with? Well, if if that if that question is asked, it couldn't be the Cubs. So... Do you know who it is, Tim? Well, he's
4: going to trick us, I think, and say that he was with the Harlem Globetrotters because he actually played for the whole Harlem Globetrotters.
1: Wow, I didn't know that. What have you got, Nigel? The Phillies was yeah. his first major league team. Well, wait, but if he bring, his, his athletic career begins with the Globetrotters, Tim gets that. Sure. He gets that. I knew it couldn't be the Cubs. What team did Harmon Killebrew finish his career with, Tim? Now, he's famous for the uh, Twins. I don't know. Yeah.
4: I'm going to say the Royals. He finished with the Royals.
1: The Kansas City Royals. Harmon Killebrew. Nigel, can you look this up? We'll keep going. True or false? And you should know this. Kansas, or, Kansas City Royals, correct. Tim, oh, Tim got that one. Yes. True or false? Jim Palmer was left unprotected in the 1968 expansion draft. That would have been by the Orioles.
4: That's false.
1: False. Look up Jim Palmer. What team traded Frank Howard to the Senators after the 1965 season? You need to know this.
4: The Dodgers for Claude Osteen.
1: Osteen. I remember Frank Howard playing for the Dodgers. He was the biggest person to ever wear the uniform, right? I mean, just Real like.
4: Quick, Ron Santo told me that Frank Howard hit a ground ball in spring training that hit Santo in the stomach one hopper it knocked santo out literally unconscious (laughs) santo told me he woke up in the hospital frank howard was standing over top of him in the hospital and santo remembers coming to and saying who is this giant hovering (laughs) over top of me it was frank howard
1: frank howard was six seven or six eight just enormous man Uh, This is how many wins did Denny McClain have in 68 and in 69? Now, in one of those, he had 31. I think 68, he had 31. 69 the next year, I'm going to say probably about 20 or 21, somewhere in there. What do you think?
4: Yeah, Denny McClain won 31 games in 1968. And the next year, I'm going to guess, I know he won. I'm going to guess he won 24 games. By the way, 68, Tony. Sixty-eight. He was first in the MVP, and second was his catcher, Bill Freehan. That's the first time and only time that a pitcher and his catcher finished first and second in the MVP wow. uh, voting. So I'm going to say thirty-one and then twenty-four. And by the way,
1: Tony Durie. Oh, that you got 30, it. You got it. That's fifty-five right. in two years. And two then, years. of course, Denny McLean was hauled off to jail. <laughs> you know, which right. earned his career. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead.
4: Right. During the th- <laughs> I was told that during the 68 season and maybe other seasons, he would pitch a game on a Tuesday in Detroit. And then he wouldn't have to pitch for three or four more days. So he would sometimes get on his plane and fly to Cleveland or so and do a, a, a gig, like Concert. play the organ, while his team was playing another game in Detroit. Because they, he couldn't pitch because he pitched the night before. That's how good he was in his prime. 55 wins in 2 years.
1: It's unbelievable. Uh, what are the other two teams Pete Rose played for? I'm going to I think I can do this. I think it's the Phillies and Montreal, right?
4: Yes, that is okay. correct.
1: Uh, who were the first two official free agents in 1975? I don't know this. I don't know oh, this. All
4: right, well A- Andy Messersmith was one. I'm guessing, I'm guessing. I mean, the, the, the whole free agent thing was so difficult back then. I'm going to say Andy Smith and Dave McNally.
2: That is oh, correct. Oh, you got it. Not,
1: oh, look at you, that Timmy. Is
2: look how good you're doing. And by the way, it looked, it looked like Jim Palmer was left
1: unprotected yeah, I on can see in that draft, it. yes. Wow, um, that's unbelievable. He, who he did the was... Mets trade Tom Seaver to in 1978? That's Cincinnati. Yes. Dick yeah, Young. Earl, Dick Young Earl. engineered that trade. Dick Young, the writer for the New York Daily News, Tom Seaver wanted to leave because Dick Young said that Nolan Ryan's wife was prettier than Nancy Seaver. Do you remember that, Tim? I remember that. That's New yeah. York baseball lore. I remember that. Right. I do.
4: And Yeah, and Tom Seaver, of course, won his 300th game and threw a no-hitter for franchises other yeah. than the Mets. He's That's the greatest right. Met ever. There's not All a time.
1: close second. No, Tom Terrific. So when Tom Brady wants to patent Tom Terrific, I go, whoa, whoa, hold on a second, Sparky. Hold on. No, you can't do that.
4: So quickly, Tony, he goes out to dinner with Dick Schaap one night. Tom Seaver does, okay? And Dick Schaap is, you know, collected people. So he's got all yeah. these famous people at dinner, including sports writers. Muhammad Ali is there. We know how bright Muhammad Ali was, but not a baseball fan. So there are a bunch of writers, famous people at dinner, <laughs> The end of dinner. Muhammad Ali, sitting next to Tom Seaver, looks at him and goes, "What newspaper do you work for?" (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. It was Tom Seaver at the prime of his career. (laughs) And Tom Seaver, by the way, did the the New York Times crossword puzzle like every day. He, yeah, Joe Durso, loved that to the hotel lobby in the morning to make sure he got the New York Times, and he'd sit there in the lobby and do the entire New York Times crossword puzzle. A pitcher, that's amazing.
1: Joe Durso was a baseball writer for the Times, who I worked with, and Durso just wrote about this all the time, The Tom Seaver did the New York Times crossword puzzle, because there wasn't a New York Post crossword puzzle, because <laughs> all, wor- all the words were two letters long for the New York <laughs> Post. What team did Willie Mays finish with in 73? The Mets, Henry Aaron, Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, what was Brooks Robinson's last season?
4: Uh, Brooks Robinson's last season, I want to say, let's see, 19, 1979, I want to say. I'm going to have to wait. I'm going to have to give this some thought. Um, Brooks Robinson's 79, and maybe it was later than that.
1: Um. Those are hard questions. They're years. They're not information. We, we have 1977 for this. 77. We don't like that. Okay. What, te- that was- what team traded Lou Brock to the Cardinals in 1963? You need to know that.
4: Yeah, the Cubs traded him yeah. for Ernie Brolio in one of yeah. the worst trades ever. All
1: time. It's an all-time, all-time terrible trade. Oh, and, oh, oh, okay. Who won 25 games for the Yankees in 1978? I believe that was Louisiana Lightning. I believe that was Ronnie Guidry, right?
4: Yes, and he the three he was twenty five and three, and the three losses were all to pitchers named Mike, Mike Caldwell, Mike Flanagan, and a guy for the Blue Jays named Mike. Can't believe I can't remember this. Yeah, so the, he only lost three games that year in winning twenty five, and the three guys he lost to were named Mike.
1: You know, I think he had something like, because I, I covered that team here and there, I think he had something like a 177 ERA run, Guidry, that year. He was fantastic. And what people don't Mike remember Warner, about Ron... Sorry, Mike, Mike Warner Hor-
4: was the pitcher's name. I knew okay. I knew that. Um,
1: so yeah, so he, Guidry was about 5'10". He
4: was, he was 5'9". And he yeah, weighed 150. 65 pounds and threw yeah. in the mid-90s and struck everybody out. He was incredible.
1: Yeah, 174 ERA that year. So, and what I remember, do you remember Mike Perez, who played for the Yankees briefly, but played for a bunch of other teams, including Cleveland and maybe Chicago? He was a big guy, Perez. Do you remember him, Tim? Yes. Okay. He said to me about Gidry, because he's, he's 6'3, 6'4, 240, and he said to me about Gidry, I hate him. <laughs> and he's their teammates. I hate him. How does he throw it that much faster than I do? Look at that guy, (laughs) right? Because he was skinny. Yeah, he
4: was skinny, and he was short. But again, Tony, we've been over this. The beauty of this sport is it's open to all shapes and sizes. Billy Wagner was 5'9". He threw 100 miles an hour. The hardest thrower of all time, according to legend, is Steve Dalkowski, who was 5'8". I mean... And I've had people, including Tom House, tell me that the fewer moving parts, the, you know, the harder you can throw. We've got a lot of hard-throwing little guys in Major League history. Pedro Martinez, not a big man. He's yeah. no. not when he pitched. No. And he threw really, really hard. No. Pedro Martinez told me his first year of pro ball, he weighed 138 pounds, and he threw 93 miles an hour. <laughs> First year pro ball, one hundred thirty-eight. Tony, that's what I weigh. He He's ninety-three, and then he ramped it up to ninety-eight before he was done.
1: He was great. He's absolutely great. Tim, thank you so much, and thanks for being a good sport and taking Scott's quiz with me. And you oh, okay. did far better than I. Thank you, Tim. Thank, thank you, Tony. See you, Tim Kerchin. Always happy. Just the best. We'll take a break. Um, we will have uh, a song and some email when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
0: I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast.
1: That is Eric DeLong and the Slappy Boys doing the jingle. <laughs> Just fantastic! Great. Want to give us the Bethesda bagel?
2: Yes, Bethesda bagels. We love them. You will as well. All you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for a location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled.
1: Here's today's song. Hey, where did we go? Days when the rains came. Down in the hollow. Playing a new game. Laughing and running Hey, hey. Skipping and jumping In the misty morning fog with our hearts thumping and you my brown-eyed girl, the great Van Morrison. Thank you to our guests today, Neil Greenberg and Tim Kirkchen. Thank you to today's sponsors, Shopify and Progressive Insurance. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple, please leave us a review. From Chris Thompson in Huntington Beach, California. So I'm listening to the podcast a week ago Friday. I found your lack of knowledge about plate tectonics a little concerning. (laughs) As a high school geoscience teacher for 20 years, I figured I would write in to explain how Himalayan sea salt became Himalayan sea salt. While the Himalayas are currently 30,000 feet in elevation, at one time that land was the bottom of shallow sea called the Teth's Sea. Approximately 55 million years ago, the subcontinent of India collided with the continent of Asia. This collision and subsequent uplift of the oceanic crust created a small mountain ridge, which eventually became the Himalayan mountains. Himalayan sea salt was created while this area was a shallow sea. Not only can you find sea salt in the Himalayan mountains, you can also find marine fossils and other evidence of the area's geological history. Moving forward, I would like to offer my services as the official physical geologist of the Tony Kornheiser Show. Any other questions about the earth, the weather, or the oceans, please let me know. So the salt is on the mountains? I guess. It's on Mount Everest? I guess. Maybe that's why everybody tries to climb it. From Gordy in San Diego, California. I hate to be the one to break this to you, but you can buy Himalayan sea salt lamps. Imagine a lamp that won't provide enough light to read a book, yet also doesn't taste like salt. Whoever the agent is for Himalayan salt deserves a raise. From Bill Gamerdinger in Liberty Hill, Texas. On the show the other day, you discussed your summer camp, which from your description was located in northern Wayne County, Pennsylvania. Camp Kiyumo Orson, Pennsylvania, right off Route 370. I'm a native of Honesdale, I know it well. (laughs) The county seat of Wayne County and I lived there until going to college. It's the biggest town in the county population 5,002 stoplights. Honesdale was a destination for summer campers on their town day. Absolutely. Where they walked Main Street and ate at Steve's Diner, where my sister was a waitress. Not only did I eat at Steve's Diner, I, to this day, have a wooden nickel entitling me to a free cup of coffee at Steve's Diner. Cash that in. Uh, The tell to identify the campers where they were the only ones who wore white socks with their sandals. (laughs) And Jay Brockhoff. It's always an incredible feeling getting to meet a fellow little out in the wild. Last week, I was fortunate to meet Peter Jennings, not that Peter Jennings. I was sitting in the grill enjoying lunch with close friend of mine, celebrating my recent decision to attend Notre Dame during my MBA degree this fall. In between our conversation, I overhear a faint I'm emailing Tony Kornheiser. My ears pricked up and noticed it came from a table of three friends and a fourth gentleman. After finishing lunch, I made my way over to say hello, and I said, okay, so who's emailing Mr. Tony? The fourth gentleman gets up and says, that would be me, Peter Jennings. Nice to meet you. I, of course, addressed him by his formal name, not that Peter Jennings, (laughs) and we share a laugh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Jennings and I are both blessed with being able to play Old Town Club in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I understand he has emailed the show a few times and extended an invitation to play. I think, Michael, and you would be, you would thoroughly enjoy this golf course. You want yeah, to play it. We, we want to play it. A brief history of the club, if I may indulge you. In the 1930s, Charlie Babcock and Mary Reynolds Babcock, a Reynolds tobacco heir, were looking to build a golf course in Winston-Salem. Charlie called one of his finance buddies in New York to inquire about an architect they should use. His friend recommended Perry Maxwell, as Maxwell had just completed recontouring the Greens of Babcock's Friends course down in Georgia. Maxwell visits and chooses 170 acres to build Old Town Club and the rest is history. The course Maxwell was coming off recontouring, Augusta National. (laughs) The friend of Charlie Babcock who recommended Perry Maxwell, Clifford Roberts. Was the chairman of the Masters for a million years. Um, okay, Jerry Black. They're all so long, but they're good, right? Yeah. This is from Jerry Black. Long time little here. Seldom writes in, like once ever. I couldn't resist this time due to the connective tissue with Roki Sasaki. Roki Sasaki is the kid who should have had two perfect games. Yeah. I've lived in Japan the past 13 years and 20 of the past 27. I've even had multiple show discussions with fellow little Peter Jennings, not that Peter Jennings, when he lived in Japan. I was here for the 2011 Tohoku earthquake and tsunami. I work for Eon Company Limited, which is Asia's largest realtor, A-E-O-N, and we have stores, shopping malls, and distribution centers in the disaster region, and also sadly lost 20 of our employees to the tsunami. Rory Sasaki, uh, Roki Sasaki, lost his father and grandparents when his house was swept away by the tsunami, and his town of Riku-Zentakata In Awaiti, lost 80% of its residential space. Our malls served as evacuation centers, and local people literally lived in these malls for weeks and were cared for by our people. I visited the area frequently after this disaster, and it does my heart good to think that maybe a 9-year-old Roki may have been among one of our guests. Roki, his mother and two brothers, lived in a nursing home for a while and then moved on. A few more interesting facts. One is that the high school fastball record of 101 miles per hour set by Rokey broke the previous record of none other than Shohei Otsani. (laughs) Second, since you and Jeff Passon mentioned the old school and Nolan Ryan racking up high pitch counts, protecting his arm was certainly not a priority in high school. In the 2019 high school baseball tournament, Roki pitched a second-game six-inning no-hitter, pitched the next game a 12-inning 21-strikeout performance with a pitch count of 194, rested one game and struck out 15 in the quarterfinals. However, the coach rested Roki for the semifinals. The team was eliminated. Baseball, and especially the high school national tournament, is almost a religion in Japan, so Jeff should certainly visit, and I would be happy to treat him to a nice Tokyo dinner. Thank you for all the great shows. I listened to each available show on my morning commute, so I'm usually a day behind due to time difference. I'm the guy who dropped off the Stag's Leap Artemis Cab for you at the Palm on my last trip to D.C. in 2016. I hope you enjoyed it. Sadly, I did not get to come to Chatter for breakfast with such an illustrious investor group. Who would have thought it would be gone so soon? Everybody. Everybody said you're dopes. You don't know what you're doing. From Tom Dodd in Raleigh, North Carolina. I don't know if I'm the only idiot making this mistake, but whenever you play... Uh, N- N- Nigella Lawson Nigella, Nigella Lawson Nigella Lawson, yes saying for Mike the micro microave, I thought she was saying m- meat croave you know like sous vide <laughs> some sort of French gizmo <laughs> that cooked a hunk of beef in some new way what a dope I am from Catherine in Franklin, Wisconsin As we are entering the season of sand and sun and lobster boils, fish boils here, I share what my seven-year-old grandson said to his mother this week. I heard Jaws is about a great white shark trying to enjoy its summer. (laughs) Well, that's pretty fun. That perspective is. From Clay Mason, just letting you know, I'm in Texas for my male uh, grandson's first birthday. It's very windy. Coming from the southwest. Should get to you by Monday. Also, Capital Weather Jason mentioned two giant snowstorms in 87. Wasn't one of those the Marion Berry at the Super Bowl in San Diego debacle? Yes. Yes. But he came home. But he came home. Yeah. I spent 18 hours in one of them in an RV parked in Crystal City manning a wiretap. Memories. Oh, yeah. You don't have those. The official (laughs) private investigator of the Tony Kornheiser show. Steve Ryan, Chattanooga, Tennessee. I think we all know that George Clooney wishes he was as good-looking and well-dressed as Jay Ryder, at least as tall. My knees give me trouble if it's about to rain. From Andy in Philadelphia. Learning about Mr. Tony's summer camp sweater runs to the now defunct sweater factory in Hawley, Pennsylvania, is the hundred percent, hundred percent the content we love. And it begs the question: Where did the campers get their socks, their shorts, and at the risk of being crude, were their underpants runs to any nearby underpants factories? No, it's just a sweater run to Hawley from Andy Metropolis in Helena, which I believe is the capital of Montana. I believe you're right. Yes, my girlfriend drives a Subaru. My sister, mother, and brother drive Subarus. Does this mean they love me? My dad drives a Toyota. This may explain some things. (laughs) From Lyle in Arnold, Maryland. Please tell Lyle from Savannah, who was on the mailbag on Friday, I said, hi, there aren't many of us. Well, there's Lyle Houck. And there was Carol's cousin. There's Lyle Houck. Lyle Alzado. Lyle Lyle Alzado, yeah. And from Keith in Indiana. We have the results from this year's Golden Snowball competition. Buffalo took the trophy with 96 inches, followed by Rochester at 87. Binghamton, 81.4. Syracuse, 76. And Albany, 36.4. Buffalo also won the snowiest U.S. city, population over 100K, edging out Anchorage, which had 89.3. This would be a good topic for your guests from the Capital Weather Gang. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Now, if there's anything I can do for you, I certainly hope you'll die soon. I certainly hope you'll die soon.